Today's show is brought to you by Airtable, the all-in-one collaboration platform. Maintaining a functional editorial calendar is hard. You got to wrangle writers, editors, copy edits, and social all on a deadline. It can get messy fast. That's why the leading creative teams, BuzzFeed Studios, Group 9 Media, and Time all use Airtable. It's flexible enough to adapt to your process, but powerful enough to keep everything on schedule. Visit Airtable.com slash Recode Media to get $50 in free credits. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. I am part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm recording this from my hotel room in Huntington Beach, California, because sometimes the media business is pretty good. I'm here at the 2018 Code Media Conference. It's really nice. Lots of sun, lots of great interviews. And today you are going to hear one of those interviews for free. You didn't even have to go to California. This is a conversation I have with Kurt Wagner, who covers social media for Recode. He is awesome. With two important Facebook executives, Adam Mosseri runs product over at Newsfeed. Has a lot of say over what you see when you open up Facebook. Campbell Brown is the journalist that Facebook hired to reach out to news organizations like Vox Media and many others and explain exactly what they are doing. Um, We had a lot to talk about. We kind of talked fast. There's some news we broke in here. Um, But really, it's an important conversation with Facebook explaining how Facebook views the world in 2018, which I think is different than the way they used to view it in 2017. Anyway, you can listen for yourself for free right now. Do you guys know how much you made in profit last year? Last quarter? Not off the top of my head. No one knows. <laughs> I think Rich Greenfield's going to look it up for us. $12 billion of revenue. Thank you. Um, I figured Rich would get it right. Uh, we're going uh, to be talking about Facebook throughout the conference, so we're very glad you came and spoke to us so we can hear it directly from you. Um, a little later on, we're going to hear from Jonah Peretti. Um, I just want to quote Jonah, something Jonah wrote at the end of last year. This is a guy who built a really big business, really in concert with Facebook over the years. Um, But this is late last year in December. He says, the media is in crisis. Google and Facebook are taking the vast majority of ad revenue and paying content creators far too little for the value they deliver to users. Skip the next part. This economic impasse poses a deep threat to society in a time when political and cultural polarization are deeper than ever, fracturing our shared sense of reality. Again, you can read the rest for free. It's on the internet. Um, So fast forward to January. You guys make a series of announcements um, that reads to a lot of people in this room as if you are going to make it, you're going to put even less commercial content on Facebook. It's going to be even harder for someone like a Jonah Peretti at BuzzFeed or Vox Media or Huffington Post to do their business on Facebook. So what are we missing about the disconnect there? Well, I think newsfeed specifically, which is what I focus on, is really always about trying to strike the right balance between a lot of different interests and a lot of different things that you're trying to optimize for. But if you take a step back, when Facebook was first founded, there was no publisher content on Facebook. There was no newsfeed, actually. And even when newsfeed was first launched, uh, there was no actually publisher content in newsfeed. Now, over time, what people use the platform has changed a lot over the years. Obviously, there's a lot of public content on Facebook. There's a lot of news on Facebook. Yeah. News, by the way, is actually a relatively small percentage of overall public content. But what's remained really consistently true is that when we ask people what they want out of the platform, the number one answer we get across different countries and in different ways we ask is they want to connect with friends and family. Specifically, they want to keep in touch with people who live far away. And as news and public content has grown in the ecosystem and grown really, really rapidly, that has, for a lot of people, crowded out some of the stories that they care about. Like, I have a sister who makes furniture in Rhode Island. You know, I might not see her post. 
if there's too much public content. And so we're trying to get the balance right, which is why this year we're really focused on what we're talking about is meaningful social interactions. We're trying to make sure that the time spent on the platform is time people say is well spent. But that creates a real downward pressure on the distribution for publishers, including news publishers. And you're upfront about that? You're saying that's happening? Yes. I mean, we said that publicly we think that roughly over the next couple of months, newsfeed will go from about 5% news to about 4% news, which is a meaningful, I mean, that's a 25% drop. That's a meaningful drop. But I think news organizations like yours and a lot of news organizations that are concerned about this in a way should be just thinking differently about their relationship with Facebook. This is not us stepping back from news. This is us changing our relationship with publishers and emphasizing something that Facebook has never done before. It's having a point of view and it's leaning into quality news. So if Mark and Adam are thinking about time well spent over time spent on the platform, the correlation for that on the news side is that we are, for the first time in the history of Facebook, taking a step to try to define what quality news looks like and give that a boost so that overall there's less competition from news. I mean, I think we would all agree that not all news is created equal. And um, this is a big step for us to begin thinking about that and how we define that. Is that, that sounds like an editorial decision, right? Historically, it's been, hey, we're platform, so are you guys comfortable saying we are making editorial decisions? Is this a publisher decision? So the way we're thinking about it now, because this is a very early stage, and Adam can get into the methodology a little bit, but we've set out a set of principles that are going to drive this work over the coming months and years, but they are essentially to give a boost to broadly trusted publishers to continue the work that, that his team has done around informative publishers, to try to define better what that means so that we capture um, news organizations like Recode or Vox that may not have the big brand that a broadly trusted publisher would. And then local news, which I think we all know is in kind of a crisis right now. And so we're taking steps to connect local news publishers to people in their geographic area in order to give them a boost to, to better help local news at this moment. Well, like how this manifests in the coming months is um, not totally clear to us right now. These are conversations we just started having with a lot of publishers, but um, in terms of us taking a big step in that direction, I think yes. I think this is, I think this is us having a very clear point of view. Can you, um, can you spell the point of view thing? Because this has always been an ongoing thing about is Facebook a media company? Is there a platform? We don't want to make decisions. We want the users to tell us what's important. Um, you said you want to have trusted stuff, but instead of sort of deciding what's trusted, you're going to go ask users. I'm confused, and maybe you guys are too, about sort of how much you want to weigh in on any particular conversation versus asking someone else. You did fact-checking last year, but you asked outside right. organizations to fact-check. Um, stuff that's clear, like the Denver Guardian was a fake newspaper. You didn't need anyone to tell you that. You could have figured that out. Um, are you more comfortable making decisions about what people should see or not see, or do you still want that to be done by someone else? Go ahead. No, you. Like, we spent you a lot take time all together. the hard ones. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I think I'd say a couple of things. One is, I think we've been relatively upfront for a long time that we have values and we have standards, and those values and standards are reflected in the decisions we make on a daily basis, which affect what people see. I think what you're seeing is two areas where we're getting, getting much more involved and investing more. One is the one that Campbell's talking about around news, specifically around informative, local, and trusted news. But the other is, over the last two years, is a much more focus internally on what we're calling the integ integrity efforts. So 
combating things like false news, clickbait, sensationalism, hate speech, et cetera. And so those are areas where I think that we, it's appropriate to have a point of view. We should be very clear about what we're doing and how it works and transparent about that. Um, but I do think there are other areas where it would be really inappropriate to have a point of view given our scale. We're never gonna weigh in, for instance, on like one ideological point of view over another, or one political view over another. So it's not about being you know, objective or subjective. It's about where do we have values and where are we clear about them and how do we pursue them? And then obviously debating that. How do you think about people trying to, you, you announced recently we're going to do trusted stuff, right? We, we, we're going to, and we're going to ask people, and there's like a two-question poll that's out there. Presumably there's more stuff going on. Um, but we're going to ask people, do you trust this publication or not? And we're going to weigh that. How are you thinking about people trying to game that? I'm thinking of, of what's been happening to Rotten Tomato scores for, like there's a story about people who don't like Black Panther without having yeah. seen it, trying to push the score down. Yeah. Um, how, how, what's the sort of spy versus spy thing going on there between the users and yourself? Or maybe not users, someone who was acting with bad intent. So for, for most major ranking changes at this point, we always are trying to consider the sort of adversarial risks, right? We're gonna be a target for a lot of bad actors just given our scale. So the way we designed the trust work, which yes, is a simple survey of two questions, but how we actually incorporate the data is a little bit more sophisticated. Um, it's actually designed to be difficult to game on purpose. So for one, it's not like Rotten Tomatoes. You can't just go and decide you want to give a trustworthy, you want to say, you want to weigh in on how trustworthy you know, any given publication is. We randomly sample people on a daily basis, and we keep trying to learn about how people's views are changing, but also get new data every day. I can't go drive down the score of The Verge if I wanted to. No, you can't. Verge is uh, an excellent publication. I wouldn't want to do that. No. Okay. Uh, the other thing is, and this is, like, I think, something we need to do a better job communicating, is this isn't a popularity contest. It's not the publisher with the most people who trust it does the best based on this ranking score. What we're looking for is specifically is publishers that are trusted by a wide variety of types of people, specifically a wide variety of types of readers. And so that, by definition, is much more difficult to gain um, because you'd have to get all sorts of people from different places, points of view, et cetera, to weigh in in the same way, which is, I think, just structurally difficult. So it's intentionally designed, one, to try and get a good sense of what is broadly trusted and what is broadly distrusted, but also to be difficult to gain. But I, I would say what concerns me a little bit about the broadly trusted is it doesn't capture, and this is what we're working on, or Adam's team is partly going to be figuring out over the next months, you know, foreign policy magazine, right? Or, or you guys. I mean, who, so much of the best journalism being done today is being done by smaller, more niche, um, more focused journalists who just aren't going to have the brand recognition mm -hmm. for a broadly trusted survey. I don't take it personally. Now, well, I mean, this is, this is, to me, the future of journalism. These are where the experts are going to be. And the really, I mean, the people, exactly the people that you'd want to boost if you're, if you're trying to highlight quality. So we need to work, I think, a little harder on our methodology to ensure that we can do that. Um, a few minutes ago, you said publishers need to kind of rethink their relationship with Facebook. What would you tell a publisher today? How, how do they think about their Facebook strategy? So um, I... I I've been in this job for a year, and I spent the first year in this job basically traveling the world, trying to talk to as many publishers as I could about what their biggest priorities were. And the biggest a lot of dinners. What? A lot of dinners and a lot of listening tours. Um, for good dinners. Breakfast, lunch, yeah. and dinner. Yeah, it was, it was pretty much 24 7. Um, so, I mean, I mean, it was the same two things over and over, no matter where I went or who I talked to. Better monetization, more visibility for high quality sources and newsfeed. So, given that, 
um, we like honed in on the things that they said were most important that, that aligned with what's most important to the Facebook community. So for subscription publishers, there had never before been a paywall or a way to do subscriptions on Facebook. That has changed. We're working now on a subscription product that um, we are um, moving forward with on iOS starting March 1st, which is a breakthrough. We had a hold up there. This um, is, this is, you guys aren't selling subscriptions. No, no, we're, but it is I think a, we've written about this, but explain yeah, what it is to the audience. But creating a paywall in Facebook um, so that after a certain number of articles, you'll hit the paywall and then be sent to the publisher to allow them to sell a This is for instant articles, right? So, you, so right. You, I click Correct. on a New York Times Correct. article, I've already read three right. or five or ten. Yeah, and, and this, was, this was something that Facebook wouldn't even consider for a long time. So it, it's an important step as more and more publishers move to a subscription model for us to be part of that. So we made some changes. We lowered the meter to five articles before uh, you hit the paywall. And um, it's... A, Early stage. We're in the middle of a test, working with a number of partners, but we're. I, I am super excited about the potential here. It doesn't take care of everybody by any, by any means. Video monetization is an area where um, we have not made enough progress, but we are about to start experimenting um, in on the watch surface. Um, I'm assuming everybody's heard of Watch um, on Facebook. We are creating a section in Watch just for news, so a news destination as part of Watch, which um, it's incredible to me that Facebook doesn't have like a destination place for news. This is not by any means suggesting there won't be news in Newsfeed, but in addition to that, a destination in Watch. So particularly during big breaking news moments, um, we can highlight what's happening and people know where to go. And hopefully that can open up some new opportunities for partners who are doing hard news video. Hard news video is just really hard to monetize. It just is. So um, Most news video is, right? I mean, most, most video that is yeah. published by news publishers that's worked on Facebook isn't really news. It's something that's fun to look at so, in your newsfeed. Right. I mean, if you're taught, but I think hard news in particular is, is a challenge. So if we can figure out how to do it in a more programmatic way, that, that will allow um, for a, a hopefully better options on monetization. I think that's worth exploring. So that's something we haven't done, we haven't talked about, and it's very early stage. We're st still trying to figure out what it looks like, but I think it's an opportunity. So just to back up for a second, you guys launched this uh, paywall thing last fall. You had an issue with Apple. You've resolved that, so you can go forward in it's March. It's resolved, March 1st. So you've been running it on Android for a few months. Yes. What have, what have you learned from users who've, who've hit that wall on Android. It's only been about three months, and Android, it's just been such a small sample that I wouldn't want, I mean, it, I don't think it tells us anything yet. I think we need to, to be um, moving forward on iOS, and we're going to need a few months to get a real sense of where we are. I think lowering the meter was something all of the publishers were pushing us to do, because on average, their meter number is about five. And now that we're there, I think we're in the right place to sort of see real results. Hello, it's Peter, cutting back in to remind you that today's show was brought to you by Airtable, the all-in-one collaboration platform. The content industry, that's the media industry to you, is constantly evolving. To keep up, you need a tool that's flexible enough to adapt to your process, but powerful enough to keep everybody on the same page. So when you need a tool to manage your entire creative process from ideation to content creation, you turn to Airtable. They will empower you to do your work your way. Try it today. Go ahead to Airtable.com slash Recode Media and get $50 in free credits. Uh, a few uh, weeks ago, Rupert Murdoch wrote some 
public letter and said, hey, Facebook should start paying publishers the way that cable companies pay for their content. Is that something you guys have ever considered or would you, would you consider doing that? You're just looking at me like you. No. Who's directed it? So either way. Well, well I, the, the cable company analogy. I mean, if people you know pay for cable so that they can have access to ESPN or CNN, sure. but people don't come to Facebook for news. They come to Facebook for friends and family. But that said, um, I, I also want to clear up this idea that like my job is not to go recruit people from news organizations to put their stuff on Facebook. If somebody feels like their business is not doing supported, it though, right? they're already there. They don't need your, your job. What well, is your job? Well, and my job isn't to convince them to stay on Facebook. If someone feels that that being on Facebook is not good for your business, you shouldn't be on Facebook. I mean, let's let's be clear about that. Um, I, I, this is not about us trying to make everybody happy. My job is not to make publishers happy. My job is to ensure that there is quality news on Facebook and that the publishers who want to be on Facebook and want to do quality news on Facebook have a business model that works. And that's very different. So if, if anyone feels that, that, that this isn't the right platform for them, then they should not be on Facebook. I mean, I don't see us as the answer to the problem. We are one. I mean, we can't be. I, I think Lydia made this point pretty well. Um, if you are trying to develop a media business in, in the social media world, you have to be experimenting with a lot of different platforms and a lot of different ideas. Facebook is merely one solution, I hope. And, and we're trying to get better at the part where we can be value-add, like subscriptions, uh, better around video monetization. I think there's a lot we can do, but it's not um, what I want to move us away from because I, I think this has been a bumpy ride between us and publishers, is the constant focus, which has been my conversation with many over the last year, my traffic is up, my traffic is down. That is the nature of what Facebook is. Unless Adam will pledge to us right now that he will never make another ranking change, and I don't think he will, right. your traffic's always gonna go but, up and down. So understand. I wanna shift the conversation more to conversions, to, to what we can do around video monetization, to how we can provide more data and build better tools so that people can build, publishers can build a more loyal audience. But, and that's where I think we should be focusing our attention because that's where I think we can move the ball. So there's two things, right? One, one, you can understand some of the frustration on the parts of the publishers because over the years, Facebook has said, hey, try this. Try that, try instant articles, try this. We might give you some money, we might not, but this is where we're headed. You, they turn, people sort of gotten used to the idea that the, the platform's gonna make different decisions. And then whether or not they wanna play ball, right, you and Google, we're gonna have Susan Wojcicki on a little later tonight, uh, dominate um, eyeballs and you, you dominate revenue. So they can't opt out of participating with you, really. Like, you're that, there. I think that's a really fair point. I think we have not done a, a great job in the past and, and we need to think about this differently going forward um, around setting expectations when we launch a test with, with a set of partners. Um, we, it's really thrashy and, and really unsettling for people who are trying to have some stability so they can build a business. And we, in order to get this right, I don't think any of us know what the future of journalism looks like or what we should be doing five years from now, we're gonna have to experiment and we're gonna have to test and we're gonna have to try new things. And I think we have to be way more transparent and candid with publishers going in that this may not work out. And, and like jump in with us if you're ready for a big experiment that might not work. But 
I, I don't, I think we have not been as, um, as open about that as we should have been, and it's an important learning for us going forward. And sorry, I just want to be totally clear. It sounds like the idea of paying publishers, it's, it's not, for, I'm sorry, it's not for, not what you guys are considering. I, I, it sounds I, like. I don't, I, I, you know, I would never say never to anything. Okay. <laughs> Get one of I mean, it's just like, not, like as I said, I don't. None of us know what the future looks like, so yeah. I don't. I, you know, I, I want to be open to everything and, you know, experiment with everything to try to get it right. But I, I think the things we're working on right now are hopefully showing signs of real progress. If you're a publisher out there, you're, you're, and Peter already kind of touched on this, right? Is like, there are a lot of changes at, uh, that are made to the newsfeed. Yeah. Um, what is your pitch right now to, to? have someone be patient, right? To say, hey, we're adding this new section to, to watch. Uh, we're gonna do video ads. You're theoretically going to get some of that revenue. How, you know, do you feel that you have to pitch patience to people right now, or do you think folks are around for the long haul? I, I mean, I'll take one because you've been talking for a little bit. Um, <laughs> I think that more than patience, the thing to focus on is trying to better educate people about how the newsfeed works, how ranking works, what we're changing, why we're changing, and what to expect going forward. I think without that common understanding of what we're doing in the first place and where we're coming from, I think that patience is like not even on the table. And then I think from there, I think we can talk about patience, setting expectations, et cetera. But the nature, as Campbell um, alluded to, of this ecosystem is that it's dynamic. It's going to continue to change. Even if newsfeed rankings stayed completely static, what people are interested in cha changes, how people are connected to the internet changes, their appetite for video has been growing totally separately. So it's going to change on its own. So I, personally, we've been focused, and Kim and I have been talking a lot about how we can do better to proactively explain what we're doing, how it works, and then answer people's questions, which is why you know, we're here. I, I also, I'm having a hard time with patients right now, and I know publishers are too, partly because I feel like we're in this pretty incredible news cycle. And so I want to take advantage of it, and I know everybody does. So if we can get the subscription product to a, the right place sooner rather than later, um, all the better. Like, you know, news comes in waves, as we all know, and I, I feel like this is a moment. You've seen you know, the New York Times and the Washington Post capitalize on this with their subscriptions. Sounds like you've really invested a lot in the idea that, that paywalls and subscriptions are really going to help publishers get out of the hole they're in. Um, not everybody, not everybody. It's not going to work for everybody by any means. But um, and in some cases, we're going to have to help more than others. So, for example, one of the things that my team is launching um, is a, a, an accelerator for local news publishers around subscriptions. So we're going to have a team that is going to help them, um, whether they need upgrades to their technology, to, to really figure out how to make it work. They're, we're setting a grant um, uh, in addition to um, to the technical expertise so that they can make the necessary technical upgrades, that they, we're giving them ad credit so they can experiment with marketing to figure out how to make it work for them. And hopefully, we're starting with 15 small local news publishers, develop a playbook for local news in particular. Um, for the New York Times and the Post, I'm not worried about it. They've got, you know, they've got what they need, they've got the teams they need. I think it's gonna be a lot harder for this to be successful with local publishers and we need to do more for them in order to make it work. There's no reason for us to do this if it's not increasing subscription acquisitions for publishers. We're not taking a dime. There is no reason for us to do this unless it works, so it has to work. How much of, of what, 
remembering after the election, there's a whole focus on fake news, uh, and, and Mark famously says it'd be crazy to think that was an influence, and then it seems like, and there's a good Wired story out today talking about sort of the, the way things have changed internally at Facebook in terms of what you think is a problem, what is a concern, what you should be fixing. It seems like, Campbell, when you brought, were brought on a year ago, again, the big focus was on fake news, and now it seems to have morphed into time well spent and whether using Facebook is actually good for people. Can you just talk about whether that's been an evolution or maybe we're not seeing it correctly from the outside? So I definitely think our thinking has evolved as we were learning and hearing from people, news industry, publishing industry, our community about what's working and what's not. I don't think that our focus on false news and integrity morphed into a focus on um, time well spent. They are somewhat related. I do think that we're actually spending a lot of time this year, and I'm actually spending a lot of my time focused on integrity issues more generally. Um, I do think we're just trying to focus more on time well spent in addition. So if you back, a, back up, you, know, you take a step back, one of the ways to think about it is this, or bucket the work, is there's a set of work where you're trying to better identify and nurture the good in the, in the ecosystem. So that could be friend content, my sister's you know, pictures of her furniture. But within the news part, obviously talking about local, trustworthy, and informative news. And that is good, and it should create downward pressure on any problematic content types, but it's really not going to solve any of those problems. For that, for those set of issues, whether it's stuff that violates our community standards or false news, et cetera, those problems just need to be taken on head on. They need to be defined, understood. You have to try to undermine whatever the motivations are in the first place whenever possible. Um, you also have to assume that you're dealing with an adversary that's sophisticated and is going to change their methodology over time, so the work never ends. In fact, it only just sort of grows. Um, so if you invest appropriately there, then I think that those two things can complement each other. So backing up, like I, to answer your question more directly, yes, I think our, our thinking has evolved on all of these issues. Uh, we're trying to be very forthcoming about how it's evolved, but it hasn't really been that one's morphed into the other. It's that these sort of two big areas of focus, which really are most of where I spend my job at this, um, at this, at this point, has sort of grown in importance. Part of that's due to the scrutiny that we've experienced. Part of it's what we, based on what we've learned, you know, the mistakes we've made. Um, and that's, I think, a, fundamentally a healthy thing. How do, you, um, how do you measure time well spent? Or I think it's like meaningful social interactions is something you guys have talked about. Yeah. This is what Mark says now, the, yeah. the core metric, right? Obviously, like a daily active user, we know what that means. A view, we know what that means. Like, what does it mean to have a meaningful social interaction? So we're trying to figure out how to best measure and understand that. The, the key in, ingredients are, the key, the key components are any interactions between two people. So it's about people to people, it's not people to publisher, or people to business, or people to page. Um, the majority of what we see in terms of the interactions that are facilitated on Facebook are either you know, um, comments uh, or messages, but also things like shares, likes, reactions, et cetera. And we're trying to understand through a number of different methodologies what people actually find meaningful. And you're seeing things that are you know, relatively intuitive in the research. Like, uh, if you know, a conversation between two friends tends to be something people say is more meaningful than a conversation between a friend and a stranger. Uh, but two people within the same community, that tend to say that's more meaningful than two people who are just like live a world apart. And that's not true in every, in every case, but we're trying to understand that. And then as we do better shape the product, both on the ranking side, which we've talked a lot about, but also on the design and the product side, to facilitate more of what we think people would say they would find meaningful, what we think people would say was time well spent on the platform. So that metric, it sounds like, is evolving right now. Like, it's not firmly in place yet? 
Yeah, the metric is definitely evolving. The, key, the core components, though, are messages, comments, shares, likes, et cetera. And we, we're going to look more to facilitate interactions between people who are is there, in is real there life a, than uh, sort of acquaintances. Is there a number? Or is, is Mark going to come out and say, we've increased our time well spent number from 4.3 to 5.2 over? I, mean, it, I don't think so, just because as, as, we're, as our understanding and evolves, then that it will change. And so if you put out a number and then you change your methodology, it's just going to not be particularly meaningful. When you you're a software it. company. You're not just going to shrug and go, it looks like people feel better. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> we're going to look at the core components. We're going to look at, like, are people having more conversations? Um, and then on the flip side, within that part of the ecosystem, are those conversations healthy? Or is there a lot of, like, uncivil or, or problematic sort of argument there? We're going to look at how much people are messaging each other uh, on the platform. Those core things will be consistent. The question is our understanding of how valuable one might be relative to another. Last week there was a story that you guys were uh, publicly testing a, a dislike or a thumbs down button. I don't know what you're calling down it. Vote. Yeah. Down vote. Down vote. How does that fit into time well spent? What is, what is the point of a, a thumbs down? So it fits more into, so it wasn't a thumbs down. It's sort of upvote, downvote for public conversations. I think that, I mean, you, you might think that most public or most conversations on Facebook are somewhat uncivil just because you, you work in the media, most of you guys do too, um, and you probably spend a lot more time in public comments or commenting in public forums than the average user. But the vast, vast majority of the times when a person comments on Facebook, it's on a post that their friend made, probably like a photo of something they cared about, and the only people who could see it are their friends, and they get their name and their face attached to it. So. That, I think, is that's good. That creates healthy incentives. And I think that's why most of the comments on the platform are just generally healthy. Now, within the public part of the ecosystem, specifically on page threads, I think we can all agree that there's probably room for improvement. Um, and so one of the things we're experimenting with is allowing users to upvote and downvote comments within that experience, which has been it's not a novel concept. It exists on most forums on the internet at this point, and it's proven a relatively effective way of identifying problematic content. I don't think it's going to be enough. We're experimenting, experimenting with other ideas. Maybe we can create a, a space where you can start a conversation with your friend group that's separate and distinct from the sort of public thread. I don't know. We're trying things out. But we're going to continue to iterate and try and learn as fast as we can to improve that part of the ecosystem. So this whole notion of like making Facebook good for your well-being, rewind a few months. I think it was mid-December you guys came out. And it, at the time, it seemed shocking. It was like, here's a study we conducted with some outside uh, sources that was like, simply scrolling through your newsfeed doesn't necessarily lead to people being happy. Uh, what made you kind of conduct that study? Like, obviously, Facebook's been around 14 years or something, and I don't think, at least publicly, you'd ever commented on the health effects of Facebook on people. So what was it that made you finally say, we want to explore if Facebook is healthy for people or not? Was there a catalyst to that? I think we were exploring adjacent questions and issues for a long time. And we were exploring specifically the concept of well-being for oh, the better part of a year, actually, before we announced anything, because we wanted to make sure whatever we talked about was relatively well-grounded, not only in our own research, but in the research that's out there in the field. Um, and just to clarify, what we found is that online in general, not just on Facebook, interacting with people seems to be positively correlated with a number of traditional measures of well-being. Um, things like, I feel like I have a support network, or inversely correlated with, like, I feel lonely. But consuming media passively, um, whether you're scrolling through a feed or watching a video or you know, reading an article even in isolation, much less so. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no passive consumption that's healthy. Like, I think a lot of what we're talking about today is like, 
evidence of that. Like informative news or local news or trustworthy news, you might consume in isolation, and that might be fine and well and good. Um, so it's not meant, this meaningful social interactions focus, to encompass all of the things that we value. It's supposed to just be one of the important ones. And all of these things, both quality news, but also social interactions, are supposed to ladder up to the idea that we're focusing on quality over quantity. And that's what we mean when we say time well spent. How, how concerned are you when there's a rising chorus of people who are saying, using Facebook is bad for you, right? Former Facebook employees and executives, regulators, journalists always like to complain. Um, how much of that is, is, is alarming? How much of that is animating what you're doing? Um, I think it's, a, I mean, we're people. It affects us. When, whether it's you know, criticism from the tech community or former employees or the media at large, I mean, we read all these things. We worry about these things, we stress about these things, so it does affect us. We try to make sure that we keep very disciplined about focusing on whatever we can identify as the most important. Like, I'll give you an example. False news is an important issue, and we have a responsibility to reduce its spread on our platform to as close to zero as humanly possible. Is it the most important integrity issue? It's not clear to me. It might be one of the more important ones, but there are a lot of other big issues out there. But if we get a massive amount of attention and scrutiny around a specific issue, the natural incentive, because we're all just people, is to just focus on that. That's good for that issue. That might be bad for something else. And in the world of integrity, in the world of identifying the, the problematic content types or actors or behaviors, my biggest worry is not that there'll be an issue that we know about and we fail to execute. It's that there'll be an issue that we're unaware of and fail to even begin to try and address in the first place. So that, that's what worries me. That's the real tension with um, just how we react to outside opinion. How would you replay the 2016 election with hindsight now? The election or no, post? Not the election. What you guys did during, did and didn't do during that election? Um, you're talking about post post November or pre November? No, no, no. During up leading during, up to, leading up to the, the election. election. Um, I'm trying to remember. Not, it feels like a long time ago. <laughs> I think we were. What were we focused on in 2016? We definitely, I mean, there was a lot of attention around the election. It was an incredibly long cycle. It was almost two years long. Um, a lot of what we talked about, um, and a lot of the attention we were getting was around our ads product specifically. So we wanted to make sure that we were doing everything we could to make to, so that our products were in a healthy place, that they weren't being abused, but also that everybody, regardless of political affiliation, not just about the presidential election, right? There's a lot more that happens, obviously, in a general cycle. Um, that everyone knew how to use our platform effectively. Uh, so that was a big focus. Um, but on the newsfeed side, on the nurturing the good side, we were more focused. We were more focused on um, time, overall time. We were more focused on. Generally, time is an interesting measure of value. It's not perfect. No measure of value is perfect. But what's what's interesting about it is that it's finite. If you spend one more minute reading, you know, you know, Recode on a given day, you spend one minute less doing something else. So it's a, it's a high bar. So it's harder to come by. And in general, our strategy on newsfeed and video, et cetera, was more focused on, on just how much time people were spending on the platform and less focused on interactions and less focused, honestly, on some of the integrity issues, specifically in newsfeed. We, we've been heavily focused on integrity for a long time around security and fake accounts and that sort of thing, made some mistakes, but generally we're working much more actively there. On the newsfeed side, we've been working on hoaxes and we've been working on clickbait, but not at the same level of intensity that we are now. So those things both changed significantly post-election. You mentioned sophisticated adversaries. Um, everyone in government except for Donald Trump, Secretary of Treasury, director of the CIA, everyone on down says, Russians are coming back. They're going to try to meddle in the 2018 elections. They've um, 
they, they employed Facebook quite successfully, it seems, in 2016. Are you prepared for whatever is coming or maybe is happening right now? So we're certainly doing everything we can to be prepared. I think a, a, one thing you never want to do is be overly confident about your preparedness. I think that's actually a, a real, that would be a real problem. What we're doing is, I mean, twofold. One for elections specifically, and then one more broadly. For elections specifically, we're looking at a number of countries um, to try and see if there's heightened risk of people trying to abuse the platform. Elections is one really good example, but there's other reasons. There's other things that might be happening on the ground that create heightened risk. But there's big elections this year. Brazil, India probably in early next year. We've got Italy coming up. We had probably six or seven really big elections last year too. Um, so we're tr for each of those, we try to identify those, those markets, those countries, and those risks, and try to better understand exactly what's happening on our platform in that country, because it varies a lot from country to country. Um, and then do everything we can to mitigate the risk as effectively as possible. And all of this sort of fits into a broader framework where, and we have a core community integrity team, but we now have integrity teams embedded in a lot of the organization. There's a newsfeed integrity team, there's a business integrity team, which is an ads, et cetera. Um, we try to much more tightly coordinate our efforts across the whole company, and we organize most everything into either like a problem or a surface. So a problem would be something like false news or clickbait or hate speech. And the surface would be something like newsfeed or watch or trend. Wait, I don't understand that. Problem versus a? Surface. I'm, I'm missing it. So a problem can manifest a surface. A piece of false news can show up in newsfeed. It could show up in trending. It could show up in you know, a group that you were suggested to join by you know, in groups you should join or you might join. Um, and we try to, we organize work in that way for two reasons. Because we want for every problem, for every surface, there to be a dedicated team to deeply understand it. So on the problem side, what's the problem? False news. Why is it, you know, wh where is it coming from? How is it motivated? How can we identify it? How can we reduce its spread? You, you become the problem expert. But you need to also come at it from the other side, which is the surface side, which is like, let's say you're the trending team, so that you can try and identify what are all the problems that can or do manifest on your surface. And we think that if we come at it from both angles, less things are likely to fall through the cracks. And this is all just an elaborate way of explaining that we're just trying to systematically avoid any blind spots, which is my big fear that, that I mentioned earlier. Kurt. Yeah, I got uh, one final one, uh, maybe going full circle back to publishers. You guys are running a test right now in six countries that I cannot think of the names of, uh, where you're totally separating news and friend content, to two totally separate feeds. Um, how's it going? And do you think that that's the kind of thing that you would actually bring to the mainstream? So it's, just to clarify, it's a test where we have a second tab called Explore, where we put not just news, but all public content. And the idea is to try and understand if having your public content and your, private, your personal content divided into two spaces is something that people enjoy, but also leads to healthier incentives over the long run. It is an extremely you know, costly test to run. Um, you have to do it in a country as opposed to a small percentage of users because of the way network effects work. Um, it's been running for a number of months now because we don't want to ever have to run it again. We want to be able to answer this question definitively once and for all because if we're going to pay all of this cost and not actually be sure about the outcome, that's the worst possible um, outcome, to use the word twice. Um, we are evaluating it on a regular basis. Nothing to announce now. Um, but I think we're going to be trying to resolve that within the next few weeks um, 
hopefully. I, I would say too, we did not, we should have been more transparent and upfront about that ahead of it. <laughs> so that the people didn't- kind of freaked out, right? Totally freaked out, rightly so, because they didn't understand what we were doing or what we were trying to get at. And I, and I do, like I said with the experiment we want to do and watch, I do think we need a destination in particular for news on the platform, whether it's in watch, whether you know it becomes trending or something. But news feed, because you know, my my sister is always gonna share news with me. I mean, you're always gonna have the news sharing experience of news feed, but I think given you know, right now the fact that you can't in a breaking news moment, like go to that place, to that moment, anywhere on Facebook is kind of crazy. And we need to we need to create that. So I think it's valuable. But I don't think that, I, those two things were being conflated yeah. um, when we launched this because we, we didn't Yeah, and you could see how they would, right? And then, and then you come totally. out and say, by the way, we're gonna turn down the dial on public right. content, right. so it sounds right. like you, this stuff's getting pushed farther right. and farther out. Today's show was brought to you by Simply Safe, the fastest growing home security company in the nation. They're now protecting more than 2 million people. And here's some exciting news. Simply Safe has just released a brand new home security system. It's completely rebuilt and redesigned. They've added new safeguards to protect against power outages, down Wi-Fi, cut landlines, bats, that's scary, hammers, everything in between. The all-new Simply Safe was redesigned to be practically invisible. With powerful sensors so small, you'll hardly notice them. But you know who will notice them? Intruders. Simply Safe has spent years building the system and they've added so much, but you still get the same fair and honest price they've always offered. That's 24-7 protection for only $15 a month, and there is zero contract. It's smaller, faster, and stronger than anything they've built before, and supply is very limited. So get yours now. Go to simplysafe.com slash media now to order. That's S-I-M-P-L-I safe.com slash media to protect your home and family today simplysafe.com slash media. Questions from the audience? Uh, first, thanks for coming, sort of facing the music, I guess. Um, <laughs> two somewhat technical or, or tactical questions. Um, the first is used uh, 5% down to 4% for news. Uh, anything that, you're, that you can tell us what you're going to do with brand content as well. And then the second question is... Um, any benefit from using instant articles versus link shares in terms of getting into the newsfeed? So on the first question, I'm not sure if this is specifically brand content, but in general, I expect roughly the same shift for all public content as I do for news. So I think that, that there's, a, there's meaningful downward pressure no matter what sort of publisher you are over the next few months. Um, on the second question, instant articles, I want to be clear, it's a it's a product that we built to try and help publishers reach their audiences more effectively and also monetize. But it's a per-publisher decision. I don't think it's our job to try to convince everyone to use instant articles. Now, we built them for a reason. They load really quickly, and they also have monetization to some certain degree built in. Um, but I think they're, they're going to be more useful for smaller publishers who might not have a large engineering team or have their own sales force or ad products, et cetera. And they're going to be on the, on the margin less useful for the larger publishers, and that's, that's okay. Even though you launched with The Times and The Guardian and really big Yeah, publishers. yeah. So you've learned. I think that you, you focus on the head because you can reach more people and get more signal on whether or not something's effective more quickly. But over the long run, I expect it to be more incremental value for the torso and the tail. Great. Thank you. Uh, Clyde Marshall from PA in London. Um, this morning, uh, Unilever, the consumer goods company, issued an 
a warning to social media platforms yeah. that they need to do far more to um, cut down on the spread of toxic content. And that's not just fake news, but it's um, child abuse. Um, it's also terrorism. Clearly, the work you've done so far has not reassured them. You know, what are you going to do to, to reassure these um, large brands so that they don't do what they've threatened, which is to cut back on their advertising? Well, I, I think the work that we've announced um, by leaning into quality is, is a huge step in that direction. And we intend it to be, which is, which is to take this position that we, you know, again, that not all news is created equal. And that we are going to be working over the next months, and it's already underway with the broad trust measurement that's in place, to better define quality sources of news and ensure that that's what gets the most visibility and feed. I might just add quickly, I think we think the commitment by such a large advertiser on these issues is great. It's a great thing. Um, I think it's on us to make sure that we deliver and meet whatever expectations that they have. But we commend the, the announcement. Thank you. So, uh, Dylan Byers, CNN. Uh, hi, how are you? Hi. A uh, gentleman over there took half my question, which was the Unilever the comment. The other half <laughs> was a, a recode report today, actually, based on an e-marketer report that you guys lost 2.8 million users under the age of 25 last year, and that 2018 is going to be worse, too. And I'm wondering, between the threat from Unilever, between those numbers, in, in all of this restructuring that Facebook is going through right now, are you open to the possibility that you might come out of this uh, in a position of less strength, that you might actually come out of this with fewer users, with less secure revenue streams, and that sort of uh, the Facebook's growth, at least in the United States, may sort of been reaching its peak, in, at least in terms of the core product, not in terms of other products that you've acquired? I think we need, do you mind? Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I think we need to be to open all possibilities. I think that's one big lesson for us over the last couple of years is there's lots of things that can happen. I think in general, though, we believe that the right thing to do for the business is to take a really long-term view on all of these issues. And if, you are, if we're doing good things around quality journalism, if we're doing good things about um, time well spent and well-being, we think that ultimately that'll be better for the business, even though it, might, may, it may or may not be good for the business in the short term. And that's, that's, that's just how we have operated actually for a long time. Um, and I think that's something that we're going to stick to. Vox Media employee? Thank you. Vox Media? No, I'm not I'm from sorry, Vox Media. I'm sorry, I confused another person. <laughs> Please, ask a question. Um, I'm not here to harass you, so don't worry. Yeah. Uh, my name is Rollo Winlock. I'm from a company called Webster. And Webster is, um, is really helping companies make more video. And my question for you is around video. So we get a ton of video produced, and then it wants to be published on the platform every month from media companies, brands, all those places. Facebook, it sounds like there's now almost three buckets of video for you guys. One being news, one being brand, and then one being personal. Is there anything going on around um, the thinking of video, about splitting them out, thinking about them as being more valuable, less valuable, knowing that some of them also have ads been behind them? Any, any thoughts you want to share with me that I can then share with our customers? Yeah, I, I mean, it goes back to sort of what I said before, which is um, watch, we believe, will be a, um, an important surface for news video. Um, news video will still be in newsfeed, but that that's a real opportunity that we haven't yet explored um, and we're actively looking at, working with a subset of partners on that right now. I mean, personal video is going to be incredibly important because we're, you know, MSI is about those connections between um, friends and family. 
And so that is always going to dominate. I think the quality work also is, is certainly going to impact video. Um, we, you know, the integrity work that Adam's been doing, I, I mean, I guess the way if you, if you think about it is, you know, last year was so focused, all the resources pouring into getting the worst of the worst off the platform. While that continues, we're sort of moving into the next phase, which is how we elevate the best. And, um, and we're going to be as aggressive about this piece as we were um, over the work that the team has done over the last year. Thanks. Two more questions real quick. Hey, thanks. Eric Eldon with Headline. Um, so first you guys last year rolled out uh, Facebook Local as a separate app, but then you introduced a number of changes or said changes were coming to the news feed where the core product would be more local. Uh, how do you reconcile those two? Do you see the Facebook Local app becoming more like reintegrated into the main platform or the main platform looking more like the local app? Like what's going on there? So we're doing a test right now. Um, I think it's in six markets where, and have you seen it today in where? I've seen the screenshots. Yeah, so this is, um, this is um, something that we hope to expand soon um, where there is a destination for local news. Um, so like if you're in New Orleans, which is one of the test markets, you'll see today in New Orleans, and it's not just news, it's also, you know, there's, you know, a soccer game at the park at three o'clock today, or sort of like just all the community stuff that we think um, brings people together and is a really good place to start if you're trying to connect people around news. Um, that's in addition to the newsfeed work, the ranking work that, that we talked about, or the announcement that Mark made a couple of weeks ago, which was to begin to connect news publishers, local news publishers, to people in their geographic region. Um, I mean, I think this work around, we've been defining it as local and around local news, but I think over the long run, um, we're thinking about it more inclusively, like how, like how can we connect people around interest, shared interest, or, um, you know, things beyond just geography, but geography is obviously an easy and simple way to start. And um, given where, local news is today, which is in an incredibly challenging place. Um, we wanted to move as quickly as we could on the things that were the easiest to get into place, and this is one of them. And so how does Facebook Local connect to that effort, the separate app that you guys launched? So the, so the app has been more focused on events and finding local small businesses, et cetera. It has been less focused on news. I, we haven't actually talked much about whether or not we should try and integrate news into that experience. It's an interesting idea. Uh, makes a decent amount of sense. Local, local news is also local. Um, so that's something I think we can take back to the team. In general, though, we're more focused on trying to make sure that in the main app, which gets the vast majority of attention uh, from the vast majority of people, that we're creating value for local publishers as quickly as possible. Lucas, real quick. Yep. Um, Adam, you mentioned the election in Brazil. And one of the largest publishers in Brazil just in the past couple of weeks decided that they were going to stop publishing stories to Facebook. Last week, I think, right? Yeah. So I'm wondering, how concerned are you guys that a large group of major publishers, say the 10 biggest newspapers, five huge networks, so on and so forth, would collectively decide to stop publishing to Facebook? And as a sort of follow-up, how damaging would it be to Facebook if there were just no news there at all? Um. Take the first. I'll take the second. Yeah, um, I, the, uh, the, our partner in Brazil is um, is a publishing partner who hasn't been very engaged with Facebook for a long time. So this didn't come as a big surprise to me, quite honestly. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I go back to just what I said before, which is if if you are a publisher who feels like you know, Facebook is not good for your business, then you shouldn't be on Facebook. 
Um, we are not pushing that on anyone. Um, but I, I mean, what, what am I leaving out here? That I mean, just that, I mean, to the second part of your question really is, I think, I mean, Newsfeed's mission is to connect people with the stories that matter to them, and news matters to a lot of people. So a world, I don't think there's a world in which there's no news on Facebook. We certainly wouldn't be wanting to push towards anything like that. That said, I'll just echo what Campbell said. It should be a publisher by publisher decision. Um, and I think that, I don't pretend to know all the details of that publisher, though I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'll find out. Um, and if it became like a massive trend, then yes, that would be concerning. It'd be bad. Very last, very quick. Campbell, you talked about um, better monetization and uh, highlighting higher quality news as being two priorities. With the hard news video tab within Watch, what, does Facebook plan to monetize that differently than it would a normal video, um, you know, as if the video appeared in newsfeed? And Watch is a new section, it's learned behavior for people to visit it. Will Facebook be doing anything to direct people to not only Watch, but to the hard news video section within Watch? Um, to be completely honest with you, I don't know. Um, this is very new to us, and we're still trying to figure it out, but um, I think it's important that it's there, and it's something the watch team is excited about and thinks can you know, help with... I mean, news is intentional viewing, right? So um, it, it is such early days that we don't have a great plan around this other than we know we want to do it. Thank you. So many more questions. We are way over time. I really appreciate you guys coming out and, and answering our questions and many, many of the folks who had questions as well. Thanks again. Thank you. Hey, this is Peter Kafka. Once more, I am still in my really nice hotel room in Huntington Beach, California. Thank you, Pasea Hotel. Thanks to you guys for listening. If you like this Code Media interview, good news. We have a lot more of this stuff coming your way. You can find a lot of the coverage over at Recode.net. We'll have more of this stuff in your feed. You are smart. You listen to this podcast. You know how to access this information. Um, as you know, I only ask one thing of you guys. Tell someone else about this show. Um, it's fine to tell me. It's better to tell someone on Facebook or Twitter or just walk down the street screaming about how you like Recode Media. We don't judge. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to Cadence 13 and Vox Media who work with those sponsors so you can listen to Recode Media for free. Thanks to Joel Robbie, who edits this show. It makes it sound better than it should. And my producers, Golda Arthur and Eric Johnson, they are great. This is Recode Media. I will see you very soon. I'm Sean Ramosverum. I'm the host of Today Explained, a new show from Vox. It's an all-killer, no-filler daily news explainer that'll drop every afternoon. But not on the weekend. Our show's going to explain the news every way we know how. Clips, radio drama, maybe even a song. Today. Explain. Explain. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen.